0: Yo, what is up and welcome to Ambitious. My name is Dylan Price. Today's episode is going to feature a little bit of a mixed bag. We're going to talk a lot of football. We're going to talk about climate change. I'm going to have someone on who's going to join me to speak about climate change, answer some of the tough questions, talk about what some presidential candidates, political candidates can do to help combat climate change, and what we can do in our own homes to prevent climate change from being as drastic as it could be. And truly, how drastic is it and how much is the media sort of fueling the fire and we will talk about in the football side of things I will give my week one NFL picks along with discussing what the hell is going on with Antonio Brown it's a fun episode come enjoy this and be enlightened and it's one you truly will want to stay long for so we will get this thing started after a short word from our sponsors Goal Standard Athletes Are you a prospective college athlete or the parent of one? Well then look no further than Goal Standard Athletes to give your child or yourself the best edge in the recruiting process. Goal Standard Athletes not only preps you for the recruiting process, but helps you look the part. With amazing merchandise and great recruiting tips, protein drinks and more, and their monthly boxes that they give out to their athletes, Goal Standard Athletes sets you up to do your best. They are, without a doubt, the best in the business to get you recruited, to get you found straight out of high school, and get you chasing your dreams. So if you're a prospective college athlete and you want to chase your dreams, go to GoalStandardsAthletes.com to purchase yourself a box of recruiting tips, protein drinks, merchandise, and more to help you not only look the part, but fit the part. Go to GoalStandardsAthletes.com to fit the part and be your best self. Seven months ago, one of the greatest wide receivers in football was a Pittsburgh Steeler. There weren't a lot of crazy headlines about him, and there wasn't anything that truly stood out to you as, this man is crazy, this man needs to leave Pittsburgh, and this man has issues that could be seriously affect not only his personal life, but the life of the NFL and the pulse around the league. Well, things certainly did change as more things started to come out about Antonio Brown's actions in Pittsburgh, and he truly didn't feel welcome and comfortable there anymore. He felt as though Juju Smith-Schuster was, you know, a big competition, and he felt that Big Ben was always going to be prioritized in the organization over him. So he requested to be traded, and the Steelers ultimately felt the best way to get rid of the headache with him was the same way they got rid of it with Le'Veon Bell and let him walk. So they traded him to the Oakland Raiders. It became John Rudin's new toy. You were going to pair him with Derek Carr and Derek Carr was finally going to be able to reach his max potential with a true number one wide receiver and a proven number one. Although I loved Amari Cooper with Derek Carr, it felt as though the AC-DC connection, as they called it in Oakland, was more of a inconsistent connection, and it's almost as though Dak and, I think, Amari Cooper have a better connection I think Amari Cooper is a true number one wide receiver but Derek Carr and Amari Cooper didn't bring out the best in one another so with that said I felt as though Antonio Brown could have truly brought out um a lot more of an electric side of Derek Carr taking a little bit of the pressure off him allowed them to go to their run game a little more and allowed them to actually have a lot more creativity on offense as a whole So I truly felt that getting Antonio Brown was a great move for the Oakland Raiders. They didn't give up a ton, and ultimately it felt as though they walked out as the winners of the deal. And they did truly, at the beginning, seemingly have won. They got one of the best receivers in football for not a lot, and Pittsburgh got rid of a guy who was a headache in the organization. So to them, they won as well. And ultimately, they did win the trade, because the last few months have been... A circus for Antonio Brown. Um he ultimately got traded, as I said, to the Raiders and complied for the most part in the beginning with you know being quiet and doing his thing and being a football player and not letting the off the field issues hurt him. And it all started with cryotherapy or the freezing treatment that some athletes do to restore and rejuvenate their muscles. And in this incident, he truly hurt his feet. So he was having feet issues that held him out of training camp practices and overall team activities. And I do feel as though it limited it would have limited him, and I cannot speak for the kind of pain he would have felt, but I felt like it was more beaten down by the media than it actually was. And I do think, as he was able to return eventually, he... It wasn't as big of a deal, but it did hurt his feet and it caused issues and it led to John Gruden having to answer questions about Antonio Brown's feet in the media and in press conferences and it led to some questions in the organization already. Then the big Antonio Brown circus came along with the helmet issues. The NFL is introducing new helmets this year in a way to safe safe in the play for football players. Obviously, in football, it's one of the toughest sports in the world and one of the most dangerous sports. So you're going to take a lot of hits either way. But with that said, the old helmets weren't as good at protecting your head and um, your moneymaker, your brain, as well as these new helmets can do. So it's a great move by the NFL, although I do feel it's not going to prevent CTE. And ultimately, they'll have to go to a newer helmet in a few years that's going to have more scientific um, backing. This helmet was a good step for the NFL to prevent CTE and concussions. And Antonio Brown hated it. He said he felt like he couldn't see out of it, it, wouldn't let him reach his maximum potential, and he wasn't playing as well due to this helmet. So ultimately, he raised hell. And... He said, you know, I'm not wearing the helmet. He went through two appeals with this thing. He searched the freaking black market, internet, eBay, everything to find the old helmet and be able to use this helmet, and ultimately, it was as though Antonio Brown was causing more drama than he was adding a benefit to the team. He was fined for missing practices, and that should have been it. Ultimately, he wasn't allowed to wear the helmet, and they made a deal and made modifications to the current helmet that would be able to make him see the ball better, be able to do everything better, and ultimately it was a fair deal, I think, for AB, and it turned into a brand deal and a marketing deal because he went on social media and promoted this helmet. And obviously, it pissed Mike Mayock, the general manager of the Oakland Raiders, off. It pissed him off immensely, and he continued to fine Antonio Brown for missing practices, for all this drama, using it as endorsements, and ultimately exploiting a situation for his own profit personally and financially. So, Mike Mayock was tired of it and fined him. And Antonio Brown should have just taken the fine, been quiet about it, But obviously he knew that the media has been against him since everything happened in Pittsburgh. Because not because he's a bad guy or a bad player, but because it makes media money. It makes headlines. You talk about Antonio Brown, you get traction. Colin Coward, Nick Wright, Shannon Sharpe, Skip Bayless, Stephen A. Smith, all the big name reporters had Antonio Brown in their mouth once a day. Antonio Brown was a circus this whole summer, and he brought in headlines. So Mike Mayock sent him this fine, and Antonio Brown felt as though the Raiders were betraying him. He felt as though the media betrayed him, his old team betrayed him, friends, former teammates have betrayed him, and now his new team that went out of their way to acquire him was betraying him. So he posted the fine on social media and went into practice Wednesday and started going after Mike Mayock. Mike Mayock obviously said stuff to him about posting a fine and confidential information on social media. It was a really not professional move by Antonio Brown, and in hindsight, it ultimately caused more issues than it did good, and I think Antonio Brown should have known that since the beginning, but I will get into why I think that it's sort of oblivious to him. So, he calls out Mike Mayock. He used racial slurs towards Mike Mayock, and the two had to be separated. And ultimately, Mike Mayock had said that they were going to suspend him from the team and find him a lot of money. And ultimately, they weren't happy with his actions. And why should you be? He went into the head honcho and started throwing racial slurs his way after. Mike Mayock did his job. He proved that Antonio Brown, although he's a superstar, is not an outlier. He's still going to be fine like the rest of the team. And had someone like a guy who comes to mind, another wide receiver, a slot wide receiver I was high on coming out of the draft that the Raiders drafted, had Hunter Renfro missed practice and been a circus and been so dramatic, they would have cut him. They would cut literally any other player. But because Antonio Brown is so special— they kept him on the team, they dealt with him, and Mike Mayock reached a boiling point, and it was a boiling point that seemingly John Gruden hasn't, hadn't reached yet until following everything. John Gruden said, you know, Antonio Brown is going to play Monday. We did suspend him, but we're just going to find him um, a lot of money, and ultimately he will play against the Denver Broncos Monday night. So that was supposed to be the end of it. That was going to be the end of the Turmoil and Antonio Brown was going to play. It was going to go back to quiet and be good. Then Antonio Brown, for some reason, felt the need to go on social media yet again and post a phone call conversation with the head coach of the Oakland Raiders, John Gruden. In this conversation, things were said on both ends that made Antonio Brown look bad. John Gruden calls Antonio Brown. And I'm going to just summarize the call, essentially to say, get your head out of your ass, play football, do what we brought you here to do, and keep the -the off-the-field issues in check. And he did say to him, you are one of the misunderstood human beings, or most misunderstood human beings, that I have ever met, I have ever coached, and been around and Antonio Brown's go-to was, you know, I've wanted to be a Raider forever, and I think you guys don't even want me to be a Raider anymore, and John Gruden said, cut the shit, we want you here, it's a question of whether you're gonna ship up, or we're gonna have to ship you out, or shape up, or we're gonna have to ship you out, essentially, and John Gruden laid down the fact that He's been there for AB. He stuck up for AB. He wanted AB on this team, and he did everything in his power to get AB on this team and ultimately try to build this team around the Antonio Brown-Derek Carr connection. And it didn't bode well for him because AB is gone now, but Antonio Brown did not have to post this on social media. It's a violation of personal moral conduct. It's not okay. It's not normal. It's not something someone who is sane would do. And it wasn't an okay thing for Antonio Brown to do in general. And according to Chris Mortensen, who's a reliable source within ESPN, who was friends with John Gruden, said John was amused by the situation. But things weren't the same way for Mike Mayock. Mayock was tired of this and ultimately decided he was going to pull Antonio Brown's guarantees from the contract. So when in Pittsburgh... When Antonio Brown was with the team, he was given a lot of money uh, as an extension after being a low-round pick from Central Michigan who turned into a superstar. He was bred through the Steelers' way and brought up. They paid him good money, and then they traded him, and he got more money to play with the Oakland Raiders. And they pulled all of this guaranteed money away. And they said, your contract's going to be week-to-week for you to earn the money. And Antonio Brown did not like that. He didn't like being reprimanded and he didn't like that his circus was finally getting him in serious trouble. And he emailed reporters, emailed everything and said, you know, they're taking my contract, they're making it week to week. And now it's officially almost a shot at me and I want to get out. So he went on social media yet again. The downfall of Antonio Brown really is correlated with social media because he goes on social media and says, release me. He said he wants to go, he wants to be free, and he's tired of being associated with the Oakland Raiders and being, as he called it, victimized or villainized by the Oakland Raiders. So he once again played the victim card, and Oakland finally said, you know what, screw it, you're released. And they terminated his contract and sent him out of Oakland. And his brief stint in Oakland produced a hell of a lot of a media circus. It brought a lot of headlines to him and made him... He went from one of the most respected players in Pittsburgh, one of the most reliable wide receivers, a guy I personally was a fan of, to one of the biggest media headaches and circuses and team headaches in recent memory. He provided a lot of headlines over the summer and talked a lot and should have just been quiet. And honestly, I do understand. Yes, there were things that he was fighting for that were reasonable, but for the most part, it was all the reasonable actions and things that, most players wouldn't really complain about. So Antonio Brown was released, and he goes on social media yet again and posts a video of him saying he's free, he's freedom. He called his grandma and said, look, I'm free, I'm finally free. And yes, there's a there's stuff we don't know about what happened in Oakland. There's stuff we don't know about happened in Pittsburgh. But seemingly, Pittsburgh was able to push a lot of stuff that Antonio Brown did under the rug because they're a very stable organization. Obviously, it wasn't the same for Oakland. They couldn't push as much under the rug. The media circus got to AB, and it messed with him even more than he already was messed with in the head. And I'll talk about that a little more in a sec. But ultimately, the media circus in Oakland was more prevalent than it was in Pittsburgh. So through all this headlines, through all the stuff that probably did get pushed under the rug, and there could have been more stuff in Oakland, it felt as though... Antonio Brown saying he was free and free, freedom at last, and all this stuff, calling his grandma and saying he was free. He lost $30 million. He was in an organization that stuck up for him and put up with a lot of his crap. And he did the same thing in Pittsburgh because they put up with a lot of his crap because he's talented, because he's genuinely, according to most of them, misunderstood. But his circus and his clown actions and his being constantly needing to be victimized. It finally caught up with him, and he was terminated. But it was apparently what he wanted, and ultimately he did have suitors, as expected, and he signed with the New England Patriots. And in a business perspective, I just seconds ago ragged on the fact that he gave up $30 million, but the way this deal is looking with the Patriots, he's going to make $15 million this year, and it's a one-year deal. So if he plays really well, he would be a free agent next year in still the heat of his prime and be able to command a solid deal with a team that he may not have gotten. Otherwise, he would have had to pay or play on the deal he was at with Oakland. And ultimately, he could make more money, be in a situation where he could win a ring and be happier with a genuinely proven quarterback compared to Derek Carr. So he put himself in a better situation by being a headache, being a media circus, by damaging his reputation, likely for the rest of his career, because he could win a ring, he could make money, he could do all of this, and it still probably wouldn't clear up his reputation. And ultimately, I feel as though he's going to go to New England and be the one of the key pieces in that team's run, and they probably will make it very far. With everything that happened in Indianapolis, they could probably make it to the Super Bowl, and another year of success from Tom Brady likely could be in the future. But mentally and physically, Antonio Brown needs to seek help. He evidently has symptoms of CTE, and it's been a thing that some media journalists are scared to talk about because you don't want to say a player has CTE because it could be damaging to their reputation even more. And it's sad, but it's true. If you look into the symptoms of CTE, mood swings behavioral problems, changing of overall actions, um, incapability to ad- by, abide by rules. Everything is fitting to Antonio Brown. And something that he did by growing through the sport is he took a lot of hits to the head. A lot of NFL players do. But he took a lot of direct helmet-to-helmet hits, more than a lot of NFL players do. And... Ultimately, he likely will have detrimental effects the rest of his life because of that. Mentally and physically, he will have problems. And it's becoming more and more apparent that he maybe should seek help because he's got issues and he's got to get them worked out. And as a Jets fan, I hope that he causes a hellstorm in New England and in Foxborough because I hope that he's able to bring that team down. But ultimately, it seems as though Bill Belichick won't put up for his crap. He will likely abide by the Patriots' way. He'll make more money. He'll be happier. And in the end, this whole seven-month media circus got him from Pittsburgh to Oakland, got him to New England with a chance to make more money and a chance to have more success. Antonio Brown could be insane. He could be mentally unstable, or he could have just played the entire NFL like a fiddle. It remains to be seen, but that is my gist and my summarization of the whole Antonio Brown situation. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, a word from our sponsors, well, our presenting sponsor, Anchor, and then we're going to give our NFL Week 1 picks, and then I will be speaking with someone about climate change in a conversation you won't want to miss. Stay tuned. So here we go, my Week 1 NFL picks. As the season goes on, I will give out my picks. And obviously, the Thursday night game, I will start doing in advance starting this week. Obviously, we were on hiatus last week, and I didn't have a chance to give my prediction for the Packers-Bear games. So starting with this afternoon's slate, the 1 p.m. games, the Chiefs and the Jaguars. I feel as though, yes, the Jaguars did improve, but the Chiefs are still a well-oiled machine right now. I think the Chiefs will pull out a win in that one. And it could be more of a close game than people expect, but I do feel as though the Chiefs will win that one. Falcons and Vikings could be a little bit of a toss-up, but ultimately the Falcons are at full health for the first time in a long time. But they are in Minnesota. But ultimately I feel as though, yes, both teams did improve in the offseason. I feel though the Falcons will pull out a win. Titans and Browns. In Cleveland, I feel as though, yes, the Browns did improve this offseason. There are a lot of questions that the Titans could exploit And I do feel the Titans improved without making a lot of headlines, but the Browns made a lot more improvements. And I do feel they'll struggle a little bit more than people expect, but they'll pull out a win against the Titans. The Bills versus my New York Jets... uh, I think this is going to be another toss-up similar to the Falcons-Vikings game, but I do feel the Jets will pull out a win against the Bills. They're at home. They've got the crowd noise. They've got things going for them. It's a fresh start, a new team, and a win for them would be very beneficial and ultimately, I believe, will occur. Ravens and Dolphins, my lock of the week is that Baltimore pulls out a win against Miami. I could be wrong. Fitzpatrick could work as magic, but ultimately, I feel as though Baltimore pulls out a win against Miami. Um, I'm, I actually think that's not my lock of the week. As I go to my next game, Eagles and Redskins, I feel as though this is my lock of the week. I feel the Eagles will win this one and silence some of the doubters. And ultimately, they will pull out a win against the Washington Redskins, which leads me to go back to my Ravens-Dolphins pick and ultimately revise it because I feel as though Fitzpatrick will work as Magic and win that game. So Ravens and Dolphins, I feel the Dolphins will win. Redskins-Eagles, Eagles, and that is my lock of the week. Rams-Panthers, I've got the Los Angeles Rams. I think Todd Gurley, a lot of questions this offseason, answers some of them with his solid performance. Colts-Chargers, I'm going with a bold pick here. I've got the Colts. There's been a lot of turmoil, a lot of questions since Andrew Luck retired. I think Jacoby Brissett proves he's a solid replacement today with a good performance. Bengals, Seahawks. I got to go with the Bengals here. I think the Seahawks, week one, is not always a good pick, and I think the Bengals are going to come out with a new head coach firing right out of the gates. New York Giants versus the Dallas Cowboys. I've got the Dallas Cowboys. I think Zeke comes back, injects a little life into the offense, into a team that finished so well towards the end of the season, and handles the New York Giants. Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the San Francisco 49ers. I've got the Buccaneers here. I think the 49ers are going to come out of the gates and be a little slow, similar to the um, Seattle Seahawks. I think the Buccaneers are going to come out with a good performance and win this game. Lions Cardinals. I've got the Lions. I'm on the Lions hype train this year. They're one of my dark horses to have a good season. Steelers Patriots, Sunday Night Football. I have got the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think they're going to go into Foxborough, answer some questions, and by dominating the team and saying, look, we got rid of some of the distractions. We're going to play a good game. They're a team that gets along. They're cohesive, and I think they're going to be able to handle the Patriots and hand the New England Patriots a shocking loss. Texan Saints, I've got the Saints. I do think the Texans are coming at out of the gate strong, but I feel as though the Saints are a well-oiled machine that is willing to prove last year's season was not a fluke. Broncos-Raiders. Raiders have been in a lot of the headlines. I think the Broncos have had a quiet and solid off season. I think the Broncos win this game pretty solidly, and in advance, I will give my Thursday night football pick for next week, Buccaneers-Panthers. I've got the Carolina Panthers. Likely, when I do my predictions, I am often wrong, but I confidently feel semi-confident in this week's picks. So to recap, I've got the Chiefs over the Jaguars, Falcons over the Vikings, or Vikings, Browns over the Titans, Jets over the Bills, Dolphins over the Ravens, Eagles over the Redskins, my lock of the week, Rams over the Panthers, Colts over the Chargers, Bengals over the Seahawks, Cowboys over the Giants, Buccaneers over the 49ers, Lions over the Cardinals, Steelers over the Patriots, Saints over the Texans, Broncos over the Raiders, and for Thursday Night Football next week, the Panthers over the Buccaneers. Those are my week one NFL picks. Stay tuned for a very personal and, I'd say, passionate talk about climate change that you won't want to miss coming right now. So something I've come to be more passionate about over the past few months is climate change. And ultimately, I do feel as though it is the most prevalent issue in the upcoming election for the United States of America's president. I feel as though the next president needs to be someone who is going to make a change significantly towards climate change, basically because the United States is one of the top countries in carbon emissions. And that's not right. Yes, we're industrialized. Yes, China's industrialized. Yes, Russia's industrialized. Yes, we are three of the most industrialized countries in the world. But there needs to be ways for us to cut back our carbon emissions. And when candidates and the media go about promoting ideas about, and this sounds wrong, free healthcare, Medicare, um, preventing wars, preventing things that are prevalent, yes, but not as prevalent as the fact that for the whole world in 30 years, it is becoming more apparent we will face significant issues because of carbon emissions, because of the way we've treated this earth for so many years, it's now starting to come back to bite, especially this generation in the ass. It's not a good situation. So, I dove deeper into this because I was panicked, because I've been seeing things about 30 years to live, and all this stuff. So ultimately, there was a couple questions I wanted to ponder. One thing was, is it too late? And ultimately, I do feel that the next 17 to 18 months, as there was an article that went trending of, nope, not 30 years, now we have 17 to 18 months to live. Well, that's not right. And it's an intention grabber, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But ultimately, 17 to 18 months will feature some of the most prominent elections for industrialized nations, which makes me truly believe that the next 17 to 18 months will change the course of the climate crisis. It could either make it far, far worse than it actually is, or it could make it a hell of a lot better. If the United States, one of the biggest countries in carbon emissions and one of the most industrialized countries, can elect a president and some Other political candidates that will actually make a change directed towards climate change. And if Russia, if Brazil, if China, if some of these leading countries in carbon emissions can find ways to combat this and find ways to elect people who will make changes, then these next 17 to 18 months will be very beneficial towards combating climate change. But if the United States elects a president who doesn't give a crap about climate change and is more devoted to doing the presidential duties for their own financial and personal profit, then the United States will suffer. If Brazil doesn't get a grip on the fact that the lungs of the world, the Amazon rainforest are burning down and their president stops being an absolute idiot. And if Russia realizes we are one of the worst countries as well towards climate change, and if China realizes, crap, we're overly industrialized, we need to find ways to cut back carbon emissions. If four of the core countries that are running this earth into the ground can find solutions and find political and economical solutions to combat climate change, then the next 17 to 18 months will be great. But the next 17 to 18 months won't be great if they can't find ways to fix this. So is it too late? Ultimately, I don't think so. But I also feel as though, yes, this is a dire situation. And as I just said, the next 17 to 18 months are crucial. But I don't feel as though 30 years is an accurate timeline. I feel as though it will be a lot longer, and I've dove deep into this situation. And I feel as though journalism and the media and the superficial society we live in currently over headlines that are going to grip readers and make them panic and get things trending. Things that say, 30 years to live, all this stuff, are going to drive the ideal that we have this amount of time to live and it's not going to get people to change it's going to get people to panic it's and it's not a terrible thing and I'll explain why but i feel as though the superficial society and the devotion to the almighty dollar is leading people to believe that we have this much time to live because it gets journalists money and it gets them clicks it gets them views it gets them attention it gets them trending it gets them popularity, it changes their life by drastically invoking panic into my generation, into generations below me, and into generations above me that are slightly opening their eyes to the danger we are in. But yes, it is not an Armageddon. It is not a fact that in 30 years, the whole earth's gonna rot. And it's not because if that was the case, truly, we'd be seeing just Flat out dirt on the ground, not grass. We'd be seeing no leaves on trees. We'd be seeing a situation where scientists are drastically trying to find ways to combat this. And it's starting to head that way, yes. But 30 years is not an accurate timetable. Likely, though, the generations below myself will see more drastic effects than myself and the generations above me. So ultimately, I do feel that it is a dire situation, but not as dire as 30 years to live and most people won't live full lifetimes. And it is a drastic situation though, and invoking panic, yes, is not a good thing for anxiety, for mental health, for physical health, for political health, for all of the things that make the world go round, but it also can invoke change in some situations. It can open older generations' eyes to the fact that they're leaving this earth in a crappy situation because they can't do anything about it aside from the things that they were raised upon, aside from the ideals that they are going to just, it's going to fix itself or kind of thing. But ultimately it's not. And the biggest way in our country, in America, we can make a change is by electing someone who has a plan to combat climate change, who has a plan to come up with ideas to combat climate change and someone who's not a lifelong politician and someone who's not going to continue to promote ideals that are just going to get them elected. Like, oh, you know, we're going to give you free health care. We're going to make sure that we don't go to war. We're going to make sure that we put food on the table. We're going to make sure all this stuff. No, they need the country needs, not they need the country needs someone who's going to open The eyes to the fact that it's a dire situation, and they're not going to stand there and go, You know, it is a dire situation, but you know, it can help me get elected. No, they're going to actually make a change and come up with a plan to make a change. And our current president's not going to do that. And a lot of the front runners in the Democratic presidential candidate race, or whatever the hell it is, aren't going to do that. It needs to be an outsider, it needs to be someone who's in this race for the right reasons, not in it for their personal profit or for the idea that, hey, I'm going to be president. No, it needs to be someone who's genuinely devoted to making a change to this country. And Jay Inslee was someone who was devoted to making a change in this country towards climate change. And Andrew Yang is the new candidate that I personally will endorse. And I try so hard to keep ambitious from a political spectrum, But in a state of panic, I personally believe Andrew Yang is the best candidate to become president of the United States for the sole purpose that he has a plan to combat climate change. He has plans to find ways to make this country better. And in America's side of things, Yang might not be the end-all be-all answer, but they need to find political candidates like Yang that are devoted to making the country better, not doing things for their personal benefit, and devoted to fixing the issues that could ultimately make my life expectancy significantly decrease, my generation's life expectancy significantly decrease, and generations below me's life expectancies significantly increase. Because I'd like to not just have children one day, have grandchildren that I could tell them about how, you know, the Earth was facing significant... Issues and as a world, we united and found solutions to fix it. But I may not even get a chance to get that opportunity if politicians, if people don't get their head out of their ass and realize it's a dire situation. That's my opinion on it. And the next few ambitious episodes and the next few months, there's going to be guests that I have on that will talk about climate change and more and educate me because I don't know all about it. I could be wrong on some of this stuff, but I'm passionate about it. I want to learn more about it. And why I started a podcast is to open my personal eyes and open other people's eyes to the issues that are going on in the world of sports, in the world in general. And that is truly, if I'm not doing that with this podcast, then I don't want to keep doing it. So that's my opinion. Climate change is going to become a more prevalent issue and a topic of this podcast as the next few months go on. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. Stay tuned for more episodes over the next few weeks. Uh, We took a quick one-week hiatus. We are back for the NFL season. I had my picks in this episode. I covered a ton of the headlines, and this podcast will continue to be about sports and the world of sports, and pop culture, and life in general. I'm going to interview people I want to talk to, and I'm going to interview people who are passionate about the things I am passionate about as well. I thank you for listening. Remember, you can listen to us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Everything, everywhere you listen to podcasts, you can listen to us. Follow us on Instagram, at Ambitious podcasts and follow us on Twitter, at Ambitious with DP. Have a wonderful week, ambitious listeners, and we'll be back next week with a brand new episode.